It's basic chemistry day here in the studio. Today, we talk about tongues of fire. And we're joined by a live audience this Tuesday night. Welcome to the deep end. All right, everybody, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. You are here. Where else would you be? Netflixing? No, you are here. And I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Tim. I'm the host of Deep End Podcast. And with me is a wonderful audience, as you can see on the screen. And say hello. Also, can we put them on the screen? <laughs> say hello. There they are. Say hello also to our fantastic production team over in the corner there. They do such a great job making everything look good. So, yeah, absolutely. Give them a hand. Um, this is uh, part three, episode three of season three of the Deep End Podcast as we go through the book of Acts. Started the Deep End Podcast with the intent of getting more Bible into you. Sometimes the Sunday morning also does not afford us the opportunity or the time necessary to get into the things that we will be getting into today. So I'm excited about the content coming up, but we've got to talk about more some important things that make the Deep End what it is. The Deep End is an online Bible study. It is an online Christian podcast, and it is here coming to you where you are. Just about 15 years ago, whatever you're watching this on probably did not exist, watching or listening. And so we are, go we are going to where the people are. People are on social media. People are on YouTube. People are on Facebook. And here we are on all those, on all those outlets that, that technology has provided for us. I think let's not complain about it. Let's not ignore it. Let's use it. Let's use it for the gospel. Um, so with that in mind, do me a favor. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe on YouTube. That is big. Now, we are having an uh, ever-increasing audience on YouTube, but here's the deal. We want you on the Deep End YouTube channel. So you have to go to YouTube.com slash The Deep End TV. We are moving away from Waters Church YouTube. So if you are at Waters Church right now on the YouTube channel, can you do me a favor right now? You won't miss any content. Switch over. Switch over right now. Go to the little URL area, the little address area on your, on your device, and type in youtube.com slash thedeependtv. I will see you there. Go ahead. I'll give you time. Okay, hello again. There you are. <laughs> I don't know if they're there or not. But anyway, youtube.com slash thedeependtv. Also on instagram.com, facebook.com, always slash thedeependtv. Let's get into the news um, that is coming up right now. Deep End News. The news you'd choose if you could choose news. Here's the news for October 8th, 2019. Happy Yom Kippur. Yes, it is Yom Kippur. And I would like to say happy Yom Kippur to absolutely no one celebrating it. <laughs> Because if you are celebrating Yom Kippur, the rule is no technology for 25 hours. So there's no possible way you could be celebrating it and watching this program. But anyway, our Jewish friends are celebrating Yom Kippur, the annual Day of Atonement that happens in our October. It is one of the most holy days of the Jewish calendar. And it is one of the feast days of Israel that points to our reality in Christ as Christians. 
And I only say, well, actually, I don't say this uh, lightly. I think it's awesome that it's Yom Kippur today because guess what? We're talking about Pentecost, which is another feast day of Israel uh, in the book of Acts. And all these days are going to really come alive for you today in this episode of The Deep End. We are going to get into the feast days of Israel. We're going to get into why these days matter and what they are pointing to and the realities of our Christian experience, what they mean for us. So happy Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur uh, in ancient Israel was the observance where God reminded, and that's an important thing, God reminded Israel that he took away their sins through the sacrifice of a lamb. And every year the high priest would go in and sacrifice a lamb and pour the blood over the altar and then take another lamb or goat and he would bring it out and uh, lay his hands on the goat and pronounce all the sins of the nation on the goat's head and then the goat would be led into Azalel, which literally just means the wilderness. And so the goat would carry the sins of the people into the wilderness and the whole nation would be, would be reminded that God in grace has forgiven their sins, has taken them away. Who is ultimately the true Lamb of God that does that for us? Jesus Christ. Uh, now, in other news, this is a big report coming from ChristianHeadlines.com. This report is interesting, and it's going to lead into our topic of conversation for the book of Acts today. 35 million, this is the title, 35 million Christian youths will leave Christianity by 2050 New report predicts 35, 35 million Christian youths, the young people, uh, we are hemorrhaging them out of the Christian church in America today. I know some of you parents are my age and you have kids going into college or might be in college or getting out of college or maybe later years of high school. And, you know, you remember how easy it was to tell them about Jesus when they were kids and how they were like, oh, I love that story. And they loved it and they believed it. And then they go to high school and they kind of get a little bit jacked up. But thank God you have them at home every night, hopefully having dinner with them, talking about what faith is and how to counter the truths that they might hear in the public high schools or public schools of our country. Well, when they go to college, what do you do? What do you do? Because, listen, a lot of times what happens is they go to college and before you know it, they graduate college and they've got all this knowledge, but they have no faith. And that is a big problem for our country right now. And I'm talking to you parents. A new report shows that 35 million youths raised in Christian families will leave Christianity by the year 2050. And according to the Christian Post, Greg Steyer, founder of the youth ministry Dare to Share, he says that this also provides a great opportunity and a chance for Christians to, quote, flip the switch, end quote. And basically what he's saying is um, we need to get serious about discipleship, especially amongst our young people. And uh, we have to get serious about doing the work necessary to make sure that we are creating a place where people not just come to church and not just, like Greg Steyer says here, not just have pizza parties and games and fun, but they actually get discipled in Jesus. That's what it's about. Like, that's, that's what church exists for. Anyway, the bottom line is, according to the report, is the next 30 years will represent, listen to this, the largest mission opportunity in the history of America it is the largest and fastest numerical shift in religious affiliation in, this, in the history of this country, which is from Christian to non-Christian. That's happening right now. Christian affiliation in the United States shrinks dramatically. Uh, and in our base case, over one million youth, at least nominally in the church today, will choose to leave each year for the next three decades. Again, 35 million youth by 2050. The good news is if we can return the church's retention and evangelism back to uh, previous rates, we will see 16 million more youth begin or continue life with Jesus by that time instead of losing 35 million youth. Well, I also think that we have to remember that there is a great calling on the church. 
Well, there's a great calling on the church to be active in evangelism, active in raising up not just people who go to a building on Sunday, but people who love Jesus. Am I right, audience? Yes. It's not just about having programs. It's about having people engaged in discipleship. And that's why we are going on season three of the Deep End Podcast through the fabulous book of Acts. And so with that in mind, let's get to it. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter two and open up this podcast to our segment on the book of Acts. So I said the last two episodes, and I'm going to repeat it again. And I want to kind of just like lay some groundwork. I'm going to repeat these themes. I, if you were here last season, the theme for the season was Revelation shows the church what is really real. Revelation shows the church what is really real. Well, Acts roadmaps the church for evangelism. It's and I, so so I said this the first two episodes. I want to say it again. This is a perfect time to talk about the Book of Acts. A perfect time to talk about the book of Acts. Why? Because the Roman Empire, the most vicious, most pagan, most anti-Christian government in history, was turned upside down by 120 people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. Period. In 300 years, the most vile anti-Christian organization that ever ever lived on the face of the earth and covered the known world at the time with unlimited power, unlimited military resources, unlimited defense structures, and unlimited opportunities to squash Christianity, could not do it. 300 years later, Constantine is making Christianity the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire, and the rest is history. Well, it's also a very scattered and (laughs) crazy history, but nonetheless, it brings us to today. It brings us to today where we look at the times in which we live. We look at America. We look at the West, uh, the, the, the Western civilization. This is a class, by the way, that is no longer taught in public schools. They, this is an offensive class. Western civilization is offensive to the public education system. I know this because I have children in the public education system, and my wife and I were talking about Western civilization class, and they were like, what? <laughs> they had never heard of it before because they don't teach it anymore. Why? Because Western civilization is evil, according to public educators. Western civilization is responsible for the enslavement of Native Americans, the enslavement of black people, the, the, the exploitation of natural resources. And so everything that Western civilization represents in many, in many people's opinions today is evil and distasteful. And so they don't teach it to kids anymore. They don't teach it to kids anymore. And the reality is Western civilization has brought about more freedoms, more opportunities, more liberties, more equalities than any other civilization in human history. Now, why is that important? Because Some of us don't get this, but we have to understand it. Western civilization is built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. Judaism, Christianity produces an ethic, an ethic ethic of morality, that we can have limited government because when people have this fear of God, you don't need as much government controlling their lives. You know, people will self-restrain. Why? Because they believe in God. There's a judge that they will have to face one day. Well, when you take those things away, uh, you get lawlessness. And this is what we're seeing right now in the Western civilization, in Western civilization. Increased lawlessness, increased, uh, increased craziness, increased, um, you know, mental issues in people's minds. And foundations are getting ripped away, left, right, and center, all over the place in Western civilization. And so we have got a challenge on our hands. We've got a challenge because Christianity is being shuffled into the corners of society. Actually, not even to the corners, into the margins of society. And if our young people do not have a true experience with the Holy Spirit, they will 
be inundated with the philosophy, with a mindset, with an educational program that is geared toward dismantling what actually gave them the freedoms that they currently have and enjoy. Anyway, I hope I'm not going too fast. I'm already in full-fledged podcast mode. But I've got a lot to say today because this is the thing. How are we going to, how are we going to stem the tide here? Uh, later in this article, uh, the, the, uh, which is called The Great Opportunity Report about millennials leaving the church in record numbers, uh, one of the goals that they say that we need to have is to uh, triple, <laughs> triple the current rate of church planting in the United States, uh, they say we need to plant more than 215,000 churches, okay, in the next 30 years just to maintain the status quo and to meet the needs of the unaffiliated an additional 60,000 churches will be. That's talking about 275,000 churches in 30 years. Now, we are planting churches uh, in in the Christian world, um, I was just at a church planting conference today uh, on October 8th, meeting uh, with about 350 church planters or pastors from the New England area. Yay, New England! Go Patriots! Um, but 315, 350 church planters ain't going to do it. we got to do a lot more. we got to go. we got to get busy. But here's the thing. I can tell you this until I'm blue in the face. But if the Holy Spirit is not part of your life, if God, the Holy Spirit, is not inside of you, empowering you, and thrusting you out of your comfort zone and giving you a compassion for people far from God and a hunger and a thirst to do the will of God, then all of my talk and all of the podcasts in the world and all of the teaching and preaching and, teach and, and understanding of scriptures is not going to do it. We need more. What do we need? We need the title of this episode. We need the Pentecost experience. Woohoo! Pentecost. Tongues of fire, right? So that's the title of the message, the Pentecost experience, the episode, anyway, the Holy Spirit and the church. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background about me. I was raised in the Pentecostal church. Any audience members raised in the Pentecostal church? My cousin, Larry, is in the audience over there. He was raised in the Pentecostal church. He was raised, incidentally, in the same Pentecostal church that I was raised in. Um, but anyway, I look back on my Pentecostal heritage, and I say, thank God. I say, thank God. Because you know what? I know that in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and my mother talks about this. She lived through it. Maybe your mother did, too, as well, Larry. But they were harassed. <laughs> they were harassed, and they weren't harassed by non-Christians. They were harassed by Christians from other churches. Um, they, were, they were bullied, they were teased, they were tormented. Why? Because, you know, Pentecostals in the 60s and 70s in this country were considered the crazy people. You know, they were the people who were, you know, laughing and speaking weird languages and kind of like sometimes too legalistic and they didn't do anything. They couldn't, they couldn't like women couldn't wear pants and and, and men couldn't have long hair and tattoos. Man, if you had a tattoo, you were going straight to hell. I mean, well, frankly, I still think that's true. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, tattoo lovers. Just joking. But anyway, they couldn't really do anything. They couldn't play, they couldn't play cards. My, my poor mother, she could, never, <laughs> she could never touch a deck of cards. And the moment you touch a deck of cards, it would go straight to hell, too. But anyway, um, I, thank God, had a mother and father who, though they were Pentecostal, were not legalistic. And I thank God for my Pentecostal experience because my Pentecostal heritage, because it led me to hunger. It led me to desire the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And ultimately, that led me to a moment at youth camp when I was 12 years old where I really received the Holy Spirit in fullness, and it changed my life. It changed my life. It brought boldness to me. 
It sealed in my heart the desire to do what I'm doing right now, which is teach the Word of God to people every week at church and here on the Deep End Podcast. Because of the Pentecostal experience that I had, because, and I don't want to say Pentecostal experience, right? I want to say Holy Spirit experience. Because it was the Holy Spirit entering into my life. The Holy Spirit baptized, uh, Jesus baptizing me. And, and let's, let's think about that word baptism. It means that you are immersed in water, if you're baptized in water. But baptism in the Holy Spirit means that you are immersed in the Holy Spirit. He is all over you. And I can tell you to this day that I trace my spiritual heritage back to that moment. And I've had several moments along the way that have reinforced that and kind of re-upped that. But I cannot and will not ever deny the fact that you need the Pentecostal experience. Now, I'm not talking about being Pentecostal. I'm talking about the Pentecost experience. This is a point of contention for those of you who have been in the church world long enough. Some of you are listening to me right now. You did not come from the Pentecostal background. You came from the Baptist background. And you grew up being taught that we Pentecostals were going, were crazy and full of strange fire, quote unquote, strange fire, and probably going to hell. And the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, we were taught that you were going to hell because you didn't have the Holy Spirit. So both of us thought we were each going to hell. Anyway, here we are, and we'll see each other in heaven. <laughs> and Jesus will have the last laugh. But nonetheless, there's this argument about you know, tongues and, you know, gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not for today and it's died off with the apostles. And one of the things that they do, these people who make this argument, is they quote Scripture out of context. And the Scripture that they use to say that argument is from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, where it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And they say, there you go, right there. It says it right there in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Tongues will cease. Yeah, but it also says knowledge will cease. So <laughs> if tongues ceased at the age of the apostles, does that mean knowledge ceased? Does that, does that mean prophecy ceased? And so here, here's the deal. It's just a flimsy argument. And you've got to be careful about listening to these arguments. I, I'm not a fan of going to the, to the denominational code, okay? Here's what I'm a fan of. Go to the scriptures. Go to the Bible. And what you see, read, and believe, okay? I'm talking about the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed, and the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. But... For Christians, you go to the New Testament and you say, okay, here's what this text is saying to us today. Now, does it need to be properly interpreted? Yes, but let's deal with each text. Let's not hide texts away because they don't fit our denominational structure or our Christian upbringing or what church we used to go to. Why don't we rather just have a blank slate here and say, well, what if I didn't have that experience? What if I didn't have that church upbringing? What if I wasn't taught how to read into the scriptures how the Holy Spirit is no longer useful to my life and no longer empowering my life with gifts and manifestations and ministry? And what if I just read the scripture for what it says? I think you would see that it will change your life. And so that's what we're going to do today, okay? I don't know if you're a Baptist background, Presbyterian background, Methodist background, Pentecostal, charismatic background. Who cares? I'm just glad that you're here, and I want to teach you from the text in Acts chapter 2 about the Pentecost experience. So, with, with all that in mind, let's get into it. Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4, let's read these first four verses. It says, when the day of Pentecost, there it is, Pentecost, arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested each one of rested on each one of them, and listen to this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay. Before we talk about tongues, 
Before we talk about um, the rushing wind, before we talk about the sound, before we talk about Peter's sermon, before we talk about any of that, let's talk about the very first thing that's mentioned in the text, which is what? The day of Pentecost. So you have to understand that what Luke is writing in this chapter is about something that Jewish boys and, and girls would have been intimately familiar with, the day of Pentecost. Again, today is Yom Kippur. It is a day. It is called the Day of Atonement, okay? It is a holy, high day for the Jewish calendar. Well, guess what? There's many of those. And one of those other Jewish high holy days is called Pentecost. Pentecost was one of three, one of three pilgrimage feasts in the calendar year of Israel. Now, pilgrimage feasts. There's actually like seven feasts. But there's three feasts that the Jews made sure that they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year to participate in as a nation, okay? So the Pentecostal or the Pentecost feast, the Feast of Pentecost, was also called the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest. And every time it came around, you bundled everybody up in the, in the carriage and you loaded up the mule and you took your sacrifices and your offerings and your money and you went all the way into Jerusalem to celebrate a holy day before the Lord, and you had a feast. And the one thing about the Jews, which we have adopted in our Christian calendar, is they loved to eat. They, they loved to have a good meal with each other, celebrate and rejoice. And many of these feasts in the ancient times of Israel have been translated into uh, New Covenant or even American feasts today. Like Christmas today is like a feast day, but it's actually a Christian holiday that is rooted in the birth of Jesus and Easter and so on and so forth and all these other feasts that we celebrate today, well, that all actually comes from the Jewish nation, the heritage that we have according to our, remember, Judeo-Christian philosophies that help shape Western civilization, okay? You go to the Arab nations today, there's no, there's no Christmas. <laughs> you, you go to Israel today, there's no Christmas, except for the few Christians that are there. You go to communist nations, there's no Christmas. You go to the, you, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, you have to understand that so much of what we enjoy as Western civilization people that we are presently turning our backs on, so many of the good things, they come from the Judeo-Christian heritage. And that includes even the days that we like to celebrate and stuff ourselves with food and give each other gifts. I mean, this is beautiful. It's good. It's actually God's idea. But anyway, three feasts a year, pilgrimage feasts. One of them was... Pentecost. So I just want to read it from the scriptures itself. Uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 to 16. Three times in the year, God says, three times in a year, you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. That's Passover, number one. Ding. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it, you came out of Egypt. None of you shall appear before me empty-handed. Verse 16, you shall keep the feast of harvest. Ding. Number two, that's Pentecost. Okay, so this is the second feast. Don't, don't miss the order of the feast either. This is important. And so this is also called the feast of first fruits, of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering. Ding! That's number three. It was also called booths, and we'll explain that in a moment. At the end of the year, when you gather uh, in from the field the fruit of your labor. So three feasts a year. Passover, Pentecost, booths. Passover, Pentecost, booth. Let's talk about this center one today, this, this Pentecostal feast or the Pentecost feast. There was something that they were supposed to do, and that's uh, enunciated in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 17. Look with me at that scripture. It says this. On the day of Pentecost, you shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves 
Don't forget that. Two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven, or yeast, as first fruits to the Lord. Don't miss a lot of the content here. These are all images and pictures. I said really fast a few moments ago that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed, which means both testaments or both covenants work together, but the pictures of the Old Covenant become realities in the New Covenant. And everything, I'm telling you, this is so exciting, this is why I love to study the Scriptures, because when you really dig deep into the Old Covenant pictures, the Old Covenant symbols, such as these two loaves of bread and the Pentecost feast and the Passover feast and the Booth's feast, it's actually revealing the Christian experience and what God wants to do in our lives, not only individually, but corporately. So here's the thing. I want to I map it out for you. I got this timeline of the Jewish calendar year of their three feasts, and this is a very important timeline. So let's put this full screen up on the, on the screen so you can see, and I hope that you watch this on YouTube because this is how you get the full deep end experience, but if not, you can rewind it to about, oh, we're about 20 minutes in. All right, so the first fruits... Uh, I'm sorry, the first feast is uh, Passover. Now, Passover symbolized what? The blood of the lamb that saved Israel out of the land of Egypt. Remember, sacrifice of the lamb delivered them from slavery. First fruits is an interesting little day in the Jewish calendar, seven days from Passover. And by the way, unleavened bread all seven days. First fruits was when the high priest would wave a sheaf offering, of the first sheaf of the uh, of the, of the uh, field before the Lord. And first fruits actually points to the fact that there's going to be a resurrection. Well, what is the, resur- what is the first fruits of our resurrection? Jesus Christ. His resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. And so uh, think about this too. Seven days of unleavened bread, and then suddenly we put the leaven in. Guess what happens when you put leaven in bread? What happens? It rises. So the first fruits is all about resurrection. And so, and I don't know if I've spelled that right, but nonetheless, resurrection. Then there's 43 more days. You can see that right there. And then we get to Pentecost. And then the, the, this, little, this little law in Leviticus, strange little law, right? Two loaves of baked bread, two loaves of baked bread. Very interesting that God is so specific about this. And you, you read the Old Testament, you're like, what, what, is, what does he care about this stuff? What is this about? Pictures, friend, pictures. And then after Pentecost, this is the harvest season. Okay, now interestingly, after harvest in the Jewish calendar, still to this day, by the way, this is where we are right now, the Feast of Trumpets, where they blew the trumpets, and then they had the Day of Atonement, which is where we are now. This is about October. Uh, and then ultimately, the last celebration of the year was the Feast of Booths, and I said I would explain this in a moment, but so let me explain this. The Feast of Booths points to the time in which, at the end of the harvest, people would come back to Jerusalem, pilgrimage feast, they would set up temporary tents, temporary camps, all around the tabernacle, and they would live there for seven days, and they would celebrate another feast for seven days. I told you, the Jews loved to eat, okay? And so they would celebrate there these feasts, and this last feast was, they would all be, it's also called, this is interesting, this was also called the ingathering feast, the ingathering. And you say, oh, that's because they were ingathering their crops. No, they were ingathering themselves. They were coming back to God. Now, this is where... Scripture comes alive, okay? You, Christian, are intended to celebrate and experience the whole gamut of the Jewish calendar, only spiritually. So, 
The blood of Jesus as our Passover lamb is your salvation experience. When you receive Jesus, you receive forgiveness of all your sins, and guess what? Deliverance from your slavery to sin. And so your spiritual Egypt is sin, your sin nature, the, the, the fact that you can't obey God. You, can't, you don't even want to obey God without God's intervention. And he comes and he saves you. The Israelites were saved by divine intervention. God sent Moses to get them. Well, guess what? God sent Jesus to come and get you. And so we experience Passover. We experience first fruits because our hope and the whole Christian faith is built on the resurrection. Even Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if you can nullify the resurrection, then the whole thing falls apart because the whole movement of Christianity is, is based on the resurrection of Jesus. If that's a lie, then you are still in your sins and you are more, more miserable than all men in the world. And he's exactly right. So we celebrate the resurrection and we experience spiritually this first fruits um, uh, festival. But Pentecost is a festival wherein the Holy Spirit comes into the church, and we see that here, that you're also supposed to experience so that, listen to this, so that you can be part of the harvest, which is on, going on right now. What's the harvest, though? Not of crops, but of people. We go and we remember Jesus said to the disciples, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his field. Well, the Lord of the harvest sends out laborers by filling them with the Holy Spirit and giving them a passion to go reach people for Jesus. Go get them. Go bring them in. And then guess what? One day, now think about this if you watched the deep end last season. What, what happens? What happens when Jesus comes back? There's a, a trumpet, right? And so at the trumpet sound, Jesus comes back. And that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the last trumpet. Jesus comes back, and he brings his church into the final feast, the Feast of Booths, the feast where we come into the ingathering of God. Now, here's the thing, Christian. So many churches and Christians are totally cool with a personal Passover experience. And every Christian wants a personal Booths experience. I absolutely want to go to heaven. Absolutely. Because I've heard of the alternative and it is not pretty, right? So we have no problem saying I need a personal Passover experience and I need a personal booths experience one day. But here's where it all falls apart in the Christian church today. We also need a personal Pentecost experience. It doesn't make sense to me. This is what a lot of Christians and a lot of notable Bible teachers, such as John MacArthur, who I love, by the way, I think he's a fantastic teacher, but he's wrong on this. You definitely do need a secondary experience wherein the Holy Spirit fills you and empowers your life and infuses your life with a passion to serve God, obey God, and do God's will in order to bring in to God people far from God so that when Jesus comes back, we can all go home to be with him. Amen. Okay? I hope that makes it clear. I hope you understand where we're going. This is why we talk about Yom Kippur today, which is just kind of like a, just kind of like a holy coincidence. Thank you, God. But anyway, let's get into a couple more of the pictures on the day of Pentecost that really point to the reality of what God is doing in us. So Pentecost is a celebration that the harvest has come. So the first sheaf would be waved 43 days before Pentecost 
in anticipation that there will be a harvest to come. So they plant. Now, these are agricultural people. We don't get this today because we, we go to the supermarket and we get our bread. But in those days, they actually had to plant and grow and then put mix together grain and all that kind of stuff and bake their own bread. Well, that sheaf was waved to say there's going to be harvest. And then 43 days later, they had the first harvest in. But guess what else on the day of Pentecost? They were anticipating more harvest to come in the future. That's what Pentecost does. Pentecost says there's still more to come. This first fruits harvest on Pentecost was just the beginning. And so it was to say, listen, there's, God is going to give us way more than what we have today. Think about that in terms of the book of Acts, on Acts in Acts chapter 2. What happens in Acts chapter 2 is the first fruits of the harvest, but guess what? God is going to do way more. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Secondly, remember, two baked loaves of bread. Two baked. And I underscore that again and again because you have to understand this is a cool picture of our spiritual life. So two baked loaves of bread were presented on the day of Pentecost. They were presented. Now, historically, we believe that one was made of wheat and one was made of barley because there's two different harvests in the agricultural season of ancient Israel. The barley harvest first and the wheat harvest. Well, guess what? In the plan of God, there's two people groups that come into the family. What people groups are they? The Jews and the Gentiles. So two loaves represent, guess what? Two groups of people that God is going to bring to himself. And baked, by the way. I, I want you to get baked. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't go there with your mind. Okay. I want you to get baked because here's the thing. Why, why would they have to be baked? Because here's... here's Here's what it means. Um, barley was a very coarse grain. It still is. Very coarse grain and uh, hard to eat. And it was the poor man's bread, actually. And so what they would do, when they baked it, it would soften. And guess what? Those, those coarse and hardened grains, guess what they would do? They would melt and they would fuse together. Think about this as a picture of the church. When the Holy Spirit comes into the church. Oh, this is beautiful. Right? This is why fire is one of the symbols. Heat and baking start to happen. And God takes people who are coarse, who are individuals, who don't want to be a part of a group. I don't want to be a part of a group. I don't like group, group think, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit has baked us together. He has put us together. He has molded us together. This is the beauty of Pentecost. It is telling us that it is the Spirit's work that unites us as one loaf. One baked loaf. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 12, 13? He says, by one spirit, you have all been baptized into one body. And then in ancient Israel, and this is extra biblical information for you. Um, oh, wait, before we get there, a couple other things about the baked loaves. Two baked loaves, meaning Jew and Gentile, baked with yeast. Now, does anybody in our audience know, what does yeast always symbolize in the Old Testament? Sin, right? So guess what the church is? The church is filled with sin. Uh, there's still sin in the church. So you have to understand that this is the picture that God wants us to have of the body of Christ. And it's just a little bit of sin. It's still there, right? It's still resident within us. So God is going to bake sinners together. If you don't like the church because the church is filled with sinners, bad news. <laughs> You're going to have to get used to that. That's what we are. Um, but then there was another law of the day of Pentecost, and that was this in Leviticus 23, 21. You shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation, and you shall do no ordinary work. So think about that. They would bake bread. They would present it before the Lord. All these symbols pointing to God baking us together through the 
heat, the fire of the Holy Spirit, bringing us together, molding us as one, filled with sin, still sinners, brought together, still sinners, flawed, sinners yet justified before God, right? But then no work. Why no work? Because God needed them to have the day off? Well, yeah, they do. Days are for good. You shouldn't work every single day of your life. But guess what else is saying? It's talking about our spiritual experience. We are baked into the loaf, not by our works, but by God's grace. So these days, don't you, it just fires me up. I just love when I see this stuff in the Bible. God is saying to us, I have saved you by my work, not your work, which is Ephesians 2.8, right? It is not of works that no man can boast. Those holy days, those feast days were days off to teach Israel that everything that they were was because of God's grace toward them, not their works. And it is a spiritual reality for us in Christ who say today that we don't get saved because we go to church or we practice the sacraments or we do these things and that things or those things, but we do, we do things in response to the work that God has already done in us when we did nothing to deserve it and save us by his grace. Beautiful picture of our salvation. Uh, let me go here for a second because this is also a little bit of background information on the day of Pentecost. So I'm just talking about Old Testament Pentecost. Let's talk about intertestamental Pentecost. Now, what, now intertestamental. This is, a, um, this is a, a phrase that refers to the period of history between Malachi chapter 4 in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew chapter 1. That is a period of 400 years, 400 years called the intertestamental period. Now, during that time, you have to understand that Israel was basically in chaos, they didn't really have their king. They didn't really, and they were like pushed around by the, the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Indomeans and then Herod the, the Great comes along and he's half Indomean and he's half Jewish and he takes the throne and he kind of coerces it out of Mark Anthony's hands and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it was a bad time. It was a bad season. So they couldn't do Pentecost like they usually did. They couldn't do the sacrifices because they didn't have the laws. They didn't have the rights. They didn't have the legal rights. One of the things that Rome did for Israel was they gave them back their legal rights to practice these sacrifices. But during the intertestamental period, if they couldn't celebrate sacrifices on the day of Pentecost, what could they celebrate? Well, they, they came up with a theory. And this, again, is a theory, but it's a, it's a pretty powerful theory. That the day of Pentecost came to be associated with the day in which Moses brought the law down from Mount Sinai. Now, this is powerful because the same images of Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai are also images that Luke will use in Acts chapter 2, to, to reveal the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven. Think about the Mount Sinai experience. The Mount Sinai experience is there's fire and smoke up on the mountain. Moses goes up, gets the law, comes down. But, but remember this. What happens while Moses is up on the, on the mountain? The people of Israel get impatient. You need to read this in, in Exodus. And they start to say, hey, where's Moses? I guess he left us. So they turn to Aaron. They say, hey, make us some gods that will go into Israel, that will lead us into the promised land. And so he makes them the golden calf, and then they celebrate in wild reverie and sexual immorality and all those kind of things, and they're just going crazy. And then God says to Moses on the, mount, on the mountain, you know, go, go, go down because the people have lost control. And it says in verse 25 of Exodus 32, when Moses saw the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, let who is on the Lord's side come to me, 
And the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. This is God's judgment upon Israel for their immorality. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day, look at this, that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. So think about this just for um, some really cool background information to this day. Because before Pentecost is about tongues, and before Pentecost is about denominational affiliation, it is about what God was speaking about. And here's a powerful thing that God was speaking about. That as Moses brought the law down, and the law brought death, guess what Jesus does? The true and better Moses. The true and better Moses who delivers us not from Egypt and physical enemies, but spiritual enemies and sin. He comes down from the mountain with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't bring death. The Holy Spirit brings life. The law brings death. Paul says, apart from the law, I did not die, but when the law came, I died. In other words, the moment that I knew the law, I died because I knew I was a dead man before God. The, the law reveals my sin. The law shows me that I can't be good enough. Guess what I need? I need help. Guess what the help is? The help is the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 14, I'm going to send the helper into you, and he is going to bring life from death. Moses and the law brings death. Jesus and the Holy Spirit bring life. And by the way, did you notice the number? How many people died at the Mount Sinai experience? 3,000. How many people get saved at the end of Acts chapter 2? 3,000. Powerful. I mean, is that not cool or what? I just love the Bible. The Bible just comes alive the more you read it, the more you study it. Okay, we got to get going or else I'm never going to finish this podcast and these people will be in bed at 2 p.m. 2 a.m. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Remember, this was the habit of the, uh, the disciples when Jesus ascended. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they're praying, and they were in one accord. And that was their regular habit, and I want to just say this to some of you. Some of you need to hear this. You need to go to church because you never know. You need to be in, in Bible-believing community regularly because you never know when the Holy Spirit is going to touch you. You just never know. Like, they, they didn't know how many days. They weren't sitting there saying, okay, three more days to Pentecost, everybody. Like, they didn't know. Jesus said, just wait. And, and the calendar was established by God, but they had no clue. You need to keep going to church even when you don't feel God because at some point you're going to feel him. At some point he's going to invade your life. And this is exactly what happens in verse 2. So suddenly there came, and I just want to show you a couple of the pictures again. There came a sound from heaven, mighty rushing wind, and filled the entire house. Tongues of fire filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke. Lots of imagery here that we need to talk about. But I first want to ask this question. And this is a question that only, mm, I think, only people raised in church denominations will uh, resonate with. But let me ask the question anyway. Were the disciples saved at this moment? So some people think, yeah, this is when they got saved. But that's wrong. Because the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 22, that Jesus showed up to them on the day of the resurrection, by the way. In John chapter 20, 22, and he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's, and receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you forgive sins, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, they're withheld. Okay, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. At that moment, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, they don't not get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in them. So at salvation, yes, the Holy Spirit is in you. But guess what? There is a secondary experience that the disciples had to have, a, a, an empowering experience wherein the Holy Spirit 
overwhelmed their lives and really took ownership of their bodies and filled them with the power of God. If it happened to them, guess what? It has to happen to you. It has to. You get saved and then you get filled. Now, sometimes you get saved and filled at the same time. I absolutely believe that. Some people get saved. The moment they get saved, the Holy Spirit comes. They can totally feel it. The Holy Spirit. And then they're out there witnessing like crazy to everybody that they know. They're driving their relatives nuts, right? Because the Holy Spirit came and filled them. But here's the point that I want to make, and it's so important for you. Yes, yes, there are secondary experiences to salvation wherein God does a supernatural work in your life and fills your body with himself. Yes. If you're, if you're living a dry Christian life, why? You don't need to. And if you're just, you know, like I just said, if you're one of those Passover and booths Christians, you know what I'm saying? I'm good with Passover. Jesus died for my sins, and I'm going to heaven. I'm good with that. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to live a very weak and emaciated Christian experience. You will get to heaven, but barely. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. You're, you're going to get to heaven because you're saved by grace. But why live like that when God has so much more for you? Why, why barely get by? Why, why barely work through your salvation? It's so tough to be a Christian. I hear so many Christians talk about It's so tough. It's so tough. It doesn't need to be. And by the way, God knows it's tough. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. If you could do this without the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't send it. But he sent the Holy Spirit so that you would be, and the key word here is, filled Filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is a theme of Luke's writings. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke 1.15. And um, notice, too, in Luke 1.15, it's up on the screen here. It says that John the, John the Baptist must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. A couple times, Scripture does this. Scripture, um, three times I can think of right off the bat. Here, Acts chapter 2 and in um, Ephesians 5, where wine... And drunkenness is the opposite of fullness of the Holy Spirit. Um, just a real important point. Be careful with drinking, Christians. Be careful. I know some of you, I have no conviction about that. I drink here and there casually. Okay, I understand. You know, God, God made the wine, uh, the, the grape. God made the, 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 the process through which fermentation happens. All th good things come from him. I get it. But listen, be careful. Because drunkenness does the exact opposite of what Holy Spirit fullness does. <laughs> drunkenness makes you stupid. Drunkenness causes you to make mistakes. Drunkenness lose, um, uh, lessens your uh, inhibitions, and it also um, causes your senses and your, um, and your sense of well-being to deteriorate. The Holy Spirit does the exact opposite. The Holy Spirit causes you to restrain yourself, to control your passions. The Holy Spirit gives you a heightened sensory experience. It doesn't lose them. It doesn't cause you to be delirious. It causes you to be more focused cause you to be more driven, uh, and it doesn't make you stupid. It makes you wise. I don't know about you, but I want that one. <laughs> anyway, uh, Acts chapter 9 17 says, um, Ananias came to Saul, and, said, and he said to Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you have came sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus appears to Paul, but then fills him with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Jesus appears to Paul, and Paul calls him Lord in that moment, and then later he gets the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 5.18, talking to Christians, talking to Christians, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, whereas in debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a thing. A lot of Christians, they say, I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I got saved. And so they never seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit because they think that was it, one and done. 
And it's like, well, why would Paul say that to Christians? Why would Paul say to Christians in Ephesians 5.18, you Christians be filled with the Holy Spirit because you need to be filled regularly. And the word for filled here, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'll, I'll, I'll slaughter it. It means to be supplied. It also means to cause something to be completely full. There's an interesting passage of Scripture where this word filled in Greek appears in our Bibles. Very interesting passage of Scripture. Uh, Matthew 27, 48. It says, And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a red uh, on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Filled is the word used there. And so I just thought the, the image of the sponge is interesting. It's, it's interesting. I've got a sponge right here on the deep end desk. And I... <laughs> And I want to do a little bit of basic chemistry for you, okay? This thing is dry right now. This thing has nothing coming out of it. I squeeze it, nothing comes out. There's nothing in there. And I just thought, like some of you are asking, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Can I, can I tell you that you need God to squeeze you? You might need God to squeeze you. And by that I mean he needs to squeeze all the air out of you because you're just full of hot air, okay? That's what you are. You're full of gas, okay? You're just bloated. You're bloated on your ideas. You're bloated on your pride. You're bloated on your hubris. You're bloated on all the things that you think you should be. And you need, here's what you need, God. You need God to take you like he took Adam's body in the garden and just, the Bible actually, the word that when it says fashioned a man out of the dust of the earth, it means that God squeezed him. Do you know that? The word in Hebrew for that, he fashioned man out of the earth, means that God squeezed him. Guess what he did after that? He breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living, breathing being. And so I just thought, like, some of you need God to squeeze you because the more squeeze that you get in life, I got some water down here. I don't know if we can see it on the screen. I will just move it back like this. The more squeeze that you are, guess what? When, when the Holy Spirit comes, the more you're just going to really quickly absorb all that God wants to pour into you. And, and just think about it. And then when you get filled with the Holy Spirit and God squeezes you again, you are going to bless some people's lives right there. That's the, that's the goodness of God coming out of you, right? And guess what? This is life because life, we have, we have squeezing moments. When you, and when you feel the pinch, ask, the, ask for the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we don't really even feel the need for the Holy Spirit until we're pinched. And so thank God for the pinch. Thank God for the squeezing. Thank God for the moments when he, he puts some pressure on us and he squeezes again because guess what? He's getting ready to dump us back into that water and give us a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit so that he can send us out and we can flood the world with all the things that God has poured into us. Amen? Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful picture? That's what they pay me the big bucks for here up on the deep end to come up with those kind of illustrations. And I also have a towel <laughs> to draw myself out. But what you have to understand is there is a, a consistent truth that is revealed in Scripture that you get filled with the Holy Spirit and, and then filled with the Holy Spirit and then filled with the Holy Spirit and then filled with the Holy Spirit, like again and again and again. Don't settle for a one and done. Don't. I've got passages that prove what I'm saying is true all over the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter, who had been filled in Acts chapter 2, gets filled again. In Acts 4.8. Then even later in that verse, when Peter comes back with John after being arrested and persecuted for proclaiming Jesus, they come back to the brothers, and they're all excited that they suffered for Jesus' sake. And guess what? Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled. There it is again. The same people who were filled in Acts 2 are filled again in Acts 4. So should I be filled once? No. Again and again and again and again and again. 
again and again and again. As often as life squeezes you, as often as life pinches you, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked intently, and then he healed the man. Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Again and again and again. My point is this. You should be repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled at first and filled repeatedly. I'm telling you, you need it. Uh, So the result of being Spirit-filled is an amplification of the reality of Jesus' resurrection in your speech and in your life. The result of being spirit-filled is the amplification of the reality of Jesus' resurrection in your speech and life. And we're going to get to how that's true right now. Tongues of fire. Let's talk about it. Why would God use tongues as fire to illustrate the Holy Spirit coming on the church? Well, think about, think about the, the image of a tongue. Right now, I am using my tongue like crazy. What is my, what is my tongue doing? My tongue is helping me what? Speak, right? But before anything happens with my tongue, guess what else is happening? Guess what happens before I get the tongue involved in this speech? Wind. Wind comes up from my lungs, it brushes over my larynx, and then it comes through the cavity that is my mouth, and my tongue right now is helping me shape and form, and here's the the big deal, listen, helping me clarify the shapes that are coming out from here. There's vocal cords in here. The tongue's not making the sound. The wind sweeping over my vocal cords is making the sound, and the tongue is shaping the sound to make it clear to you. All this is, this is, every word of Scripture is inspired for us to understand truth. So when the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is the breath of God, Jesus breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit, comes up out of our innermost being, and it comes out of our mouths, the tongue of fire is an illustration of what the Holy Spirit is going to do with your life. It is going to bring clarity to your words and your testimony about Jesus. It's going to empower you to make your testimony and to make your evangelism and to make your personal experiences with other people who don't know Christ clear about who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian. Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is not sent into the church so that the church can just feel the Holy Spirit heebie-jeebies and enjoy themselves and be excited that they had another experience with God. The Holy Spirit is sent into the church so that the church can get out of the building and go and tell other people about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's what it's about. That's why tongues of fire are the image of, that God uses to illustrate the Holy Spirit. Now, I have my friend Ken. <laughs> okay, and this is, this is what I call Passover Ken. Passover Ken is glad he's going to heaven. He's looking forward to the, the spiritual fulfillment of the Feast of Booths. But here's what God wants to do <laughs> with Ken. Okay, I hope I don't... God wants to put some fire on that boy. He just wants to, and I'm just telling you. Okay, look at that. Look at Ken now. We got a sprinkler system in here. I better be careful. <laughs> this is, that's, can we, <laughs> only on the Deep End Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, do we light Ken dolls on fire. This is what God wants to do with you. And think about this benzo, benzomatic propane. There's wind, Right? 
guess what? There's also an oil in here. There's a propane gas. I guess it's gas, but you know what I'm saying. Um, oil is a also a, um, what is it called? A fuel for fire. And so wind, oil, fire. All these images, so beautiful. By the way, how do you bake bread? You remember the back to the loaves? How do you make regular bread? What does it take? It takes water, oil, grain, and yeast, and salt. All those images. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is related to water and oil and grain. That's who we are. And the yeast is a sin that we still bring in with us. But guess what? Then God puts the heat on us, and the Holy Spirit is the fire that makes us rise to the occasion and bring glory to the name of Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful images throughout the Bible about this. Anyway, let's go back now to wind and fire, Old Testament, even further back. Remember, the wind hovered over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, was the creative force that hovered over the chaotic creation and brought about the creative order. God spoke through the wind and brought about creation. Then in Exodus chapter 3, the, very two, the two first books of the Bible, how does God speak to Moses? He speaks to him through the what? The burning bush, wind, fire. So the wind brings about God's creation, and then the fire at the burning bush brings about the new nation. And those two images go together. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit brings you into the new creation and establishes you as the new nation. This is all throughout the Bible. It's just everything ties together. And because of the Holy Spirit, you will have a bold witness for Christ. So let's go on in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to wrap this up real quick, but here we go. Acts 2 verse 5, it says this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation into heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Again, clarity. The Holy Spirit sent the gift of tongues into the disciples not to cause confusion, but to bring clarity to the people who were hearing them. Don't miss that. The tongue was bringing clarity. And it says that they were in, from every nation. Again, I just think about the orchestration, the, the really cool scheduling of God. Because I opened this podcast talking about those three pilgrimage feasts. Well, the Holy Spirit is sent on one of the feasts at which Jews from all over the world would travel hundreds of miles in some cases to come to Jerusalem to worship God. And so when they all come together, God's like, let me pour out my spirit and make known to them who I really am through my people. And, and estimates are that Jerusalem's population swelled from about 100,000 people to, check this out, 1 million people on the day of Pentecost. This is God's coordination. So the other thing about the Holy Spirit is that God will send the Holy Spirit into you, but it's for a purpose, right? It's for a purpose. And sometimes he will send you the Holy Spirit at just the right moment so that you are bold in declaring who Jesus is, so that you are bold in laying on of hands and healing someone, so that you are bold in the gift of miracles, faith, and all those wonderful gifts that we talked about in season one of the Deep End from 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. You understand that this is what the Holy Spirit is about. So, Verse 7 says, They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these speaking Galileans? And Galileans, you have to understand, were the hillbillies of the Jews. These were the backwoods people. These were the uneducated people. And they're like, how did these guys all of a sudden, what did they just take a bunch of Rosetta Stone courses? What's going on in <laughs> Rosetta courses? And what, what happened with these people? You know, No, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and God empowered them because God takes people that don't necessarily have all the education, power, and wisdom of the day. And he uses them to show that it is his power and not ours that makes this stuff happen. 
And that is good news for anyone out there who feels like you are not educated enough, you are not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you were not born in the right society, you're not born in the right family. It doesn't matter. God doesn't need any of that stuff. He's enough. And he can send the Holy Spirit and empower you to bring clarity to the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. So the Holy Spirit, this is the point, the Holy Spirit empowers the church at the right time on Pentecost for the gospel message to pierce people's hearts. And we're going to see how the Holy Spirit repeatedly shows up at just the right time for Peter, for Philip, for Stephen, for Paul, for Barnabas, again and again and again throughout the book of Acts. Uh, verse 8, let's go on here. It says this, And how is it, they say, that we each hear in our own native language, and they talk about Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Oh, those are verses that you're glad you're not the one reading the Bible on, on YouTube. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Fifteen nations are mentioned. Fifteen nations or people groups are mentioned. The fact is, is here's what God is doing. He is making himself known to all kinds of people. That's what God's heart is. Do you understand what the heart of God is? The heart of God is to make himself known to as many people as possible. And here's the deal, Christian churches of America. We gotta get this. We gotta get fired up again. We've gotta get the Holy Spirit. We've gotta plant churches, but it's not gonna happen if I just talk to you about it all day. You've gotta ask for the Holy Spirit. We've gotta have the Holy Spirit fill us again. It may, maybe right now the American church is getting squeezed, squeezed culturally. We've lost our cultural authority, you know? Um, we're now the, we're now the only, you understand that Christians are now the only people group in this country that you can make fun of and vilify and, and mock with impunity today. You make fun of a gay person, watch out, you're gonna lose everything. You make fun of a Muslim, watch out, you're gonna lose everything. You make fun of a Jew, watch out, you're gonna lose everything. And by the way, you shouldn't make fun of any of those people. But Christians, fair game. And maybe God, culturally, is squeezing us so that we get to the point where we say, man, we need God to pour out his Holy Spirit on us because we're not going to be able to do it with politics. We're not going to be able to do it with elections. We're not going to be able to do it with popularity. We're not going to be able to do it with fancy lights and fancy whatever. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen, Amen. yeah. So anyway, to make himself known. Last verse I'm going to cover today, and then we'll go into part two next week. But this is verse 12. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, saying to one another, saying to one another, sorry. What does this mean? Uh, verse 13. But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Okay. Last point I want to make today is this. Notice there are two responses to the same experience. Don't miss it. Very important. The first verse, verse 12 says, some were amazed and perplexed. But the very next verse is, some were like, bunch of idiots. <laughs> and here's the thing, Christians. We got to get okay with two responses. We, we have to be okay with that. We, we have to be like, yep, we thought you wouldn't like it. <laughs> and that's okay. We're okay with not being okay in the eyes of many people. Because here's what you have to understand. God is bringing to himself those he wills. And our job is simply to be the tongue, the mouthpiece, the clarifier, the enunciator, the person proclaiming it. And yes, some will mock us and think we're crazy, and some will be interested and they will come closer. Let us be ready for that. Let us be a church that is ready to bring people from wherever they are into the relationship that God has offered them through the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, it's all about that, that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit, receive power, 
and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Lots more to talk about in Acts chapter 2. I don't have the time for it on this episode, but we will talk about it next week. I hope that you join us. If you're not subscribed, please do subscribe again, youtube.com slash thedeepntv, facebook.com, instagram.com, twitter.com. is different. Just know the on twitter.com. Follow us, like us, subscribe, do all that stuff that makes us feel better about all the money we spent on putting this together. Um, You can check us out on The Deep End on your favorite web device as well. Uh, Thedeepend.tv is available 24 hours a day. You can buy some merch like this tumbler which is filled with Holy Spirit water. Amen. (laughs) Uh, Check us out next week, same time, same place. I'm glad that you were here. Thank you, audience. I will see you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End Podcast. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and in your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.